0: Hey you guys, this is the Couplings Fire podcast. Here's a couple of things you might need to know or maybe you just forgot. I'm Taylor, a volunteer firefighter and also a firewife to my favorite firefighter. Join me as I talk anything and everything fire related. I don't claim to be an expert. I just love to talk fire and everything I say is my own opinion. My goal, to inspire anyone listening to take the steps to bettering their department however they can. Let's get on to the episode. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Couplings Fire podcast. I have a very exciting guest on today. I've I've been trying to get him on for a while, and finally the stars aligned and the schedule is aligned to be able to work it out. Uh, So I have David Mellon. Um, He is a 23 year student of the fire service and has been a paramedic for 16 years. David currently serves as a captain with the Reno Township Fire Department, and he is a returning instructor at FTIC. Firehouse Expo and several other state and local fire schools, as well as the owner of Valor Fire Training. And I'm going to do a subtle, not so subtle plug that one of those fire schools is Les Lucre. So yes,
1: it is. Yes,
0: it is. <laughs> but more importantly, what I'm what I'm more excited about is because David was so so I listened to podcasts, a couple of podcasts to kind of start getting me out into the world of the fire service to want to search for trainings, right? But David, going to your class at Les Luker that first year, you were the one who actually got me to stay in it and to go even farther, which is crazy. It just, it's <laughs> funny how they, how that happened and just uh, the fates aligned or something, because that was a weird weekend. It was a great weekend, but it was a weird weekend.
1: <laughs> it was. And if I remember right, like you weren't even going to be in the class. like You weren't planning no. on being in our class. And then at the last minute, you kind of jumped in.
0: Exactly. So we'll get into that. Here in a little bit, I guess, but so so I'm just more over excited to have you in, just because I don't know. It's it was such a pivotal part of the beginnings of the for lack of better words. Not the real part of my fire service career, but almost because when I finally started actually getting into things and not just going through the motions.
1: Yeah, no, and 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 you and I have talked extensively about this, and for the listeners, I mean as an instructor, when you came back after, you know, six or seven months, and I, and I had the opportunity to talk to you, and I didn't realize at the time how much impact we were going to have on you. Uh, and then to hear your story and and find out kind of the backstory of what happened. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, and as an instructor, it was awesome just to hear that we were able to have that much impact uh, on your career and on your path. And uh, it was, it was heartwarming, but it was also like one of the biggest pats on the back that you can ask for as an instructor.
0: No, but I bet it's something that people don't, instructors don't expect to hear. They just think they're not always, but think they're just going to go teach another class and maybe help somebody a little bit or whatever they go through. Not necessarily, yeah, have that big pivotal moment for somebody or whatever. So,
1: yeah. and, And there's, so you bring up a really good point. Like, and I was just talking about this when I was in Georgia at the Bears of the Oath Conference, uh, every class at the end of every scenario or every section and then at the end of the day as an instructor the one thing that i've always done uh, and i got this from other instructors that i learned from uh, i'll just ask for a show of hands like who here learned one thing that they didn't know when they walked in the door and as long as everybody's putting their hands up we know we're on the right track we know that we're teaching them something that they didn't know um and and that's kind of how we gauge our our classes you know if we need to alter something or change something then we make sure we're doing it Um, so we're not just teaching something that somebody already knows. We want to teach things that they haven't seen or a way to do it that they haven't seen. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's like my gold standard. That's what makes my heart feel warm. Um, because we don't get that feedback all the time. Uh, every once in a while we get, you know, stories like, Hey, you taught us this, we used it on a fire and it worked. Um, North Platte is a great example. We did a search class and then they actually pulled a victim out of a house using some of the search methods that we taught. Um, and so that was cool. But uh, yeah, you you are by far, hands down, uh, the one that has been uh, probably the most vocal about how much we impacted you, and and we love it. I mean, don't get me wrong, I I love telling your story, and
0: not and, like uh, oh my gosh, shut up, you you talk too much today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I love telling your story because it's just it's such a funny story, and it's just such a um, it just has such a great message. So,
0: so the first year of me going to Les Leger, it it really had a big impact on me. Um, and really kept me going back to other conferences, wanting to search out other things and keep going back to that conference and has grown me really into uh, the the type of firefighter I am today. So you've trained, attended trainings a lot, <laughs> you know, both teaching and and I'm assuming as a student as well. Um, in your opinion, I guess, how how can these small trainings or regional conferences influence who you are as a firefighter?
1: so it's a great question uh you know when you break down the training sources uh obviously you have your in department stuff uh you know that's hosted locally within an organization or even kind of like a mutual aid setup uh and then you have your micro conferences some of the smaller conferences and then you have your national level uh conferences that are held around the country and so they're all different and they all offer things uh and have their pros and cons uh, you know, the smaller conferences like you are talking about with Bless Luker uh, and some of the other ones, it really, as a student, I think it gives you more exposure to the instructor. You know, there's usually smaller class sizes. Um, the information, you can have the opportunity to talk to the instructor and ask questions that you might not be able to do when there's 50 or 60 students all taking one class and they're just running reps over and over and over again. There's not time to sit there and go, well, hey, wait a second. I don't understand this. Or can you explain this a different way because I didn't understand it? Uh, And that's what I love about, like, Les Lukert. uh, The class sizes are, you know, 15 to 20, somewhere in there. And we have, you know, two days to actually go through and discuss and talk and, and kind of refine things so that the student understands it. Because the way that I explain it to you might not make sense to the person sitting next to you. Um, So I I like the intimacy of it, Uh, not to sound awkward, but I mean, it's just that intimacy of, you know, being able to connect with those students and spend quality time with them, making sure that they understand the material that you're putting out instead of just, you know, here's how you throw a ladder, show them two or three times and then have them do it three or four times and then they move on to the next station.
0: I mean, there are definitely benefits to both ways of doing it because sometimes you do just need the quick reps and going on to the next station doing those things. But especially if you're going either working with somebody who's new or learns differently, who hasn't been taught properly in the past, or um, you want to more refine certain techniques instead of just having to do reps of it, you do need more of that one-on-one time or at least one-to-three ratio kind of kind of right. time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> No, absolutely, and and that's I mean we love teaching at all of them. You know, we love going to departments and hosting uh, an in-house class. We love going to the micro conferences, and we love going to the the national level conferences. It's not one is not better than the other. Uh, it's just a different application of the knowledge and the lesson when you go to different places.
0: Uh, I haven't made it to one of the big big ones yet. I will someday.
1: Yeah, you have, you have to. to
0: make sure that the stars align for that one too cuz oh my goodness.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and I tell this story uh to everybody, you know, the first year that I got to go to FDIC was the first year that I taught. Um and and the only reason why I was able to go financially was because I was instructing and so, you know, one of the perks of going there is that they they cover your travel and they cover cover your hotel. Um and the amount of stuff that I was able to learn and sit in on classes, I mean, it really is just like the Disneyland of, of <laughs> fire conferences. You know, it's, I mean, I got to see stuff that I hadn't seen before. I was super excited. I got to listen to instructors that I wanted to sit in their class my entire career. And, um, so it, it, it I tell everybody if there is a way, I mean, there's scholarships that you can put in for, there are, uh, vendors who will sponsor somebody to go, uh, there's a lot of ways that people can get to some of those bigger conferences, and you at some point in your career, I think everybody should be afforded the opportunity
0: to go. Yeah, I'm excited. someday, someday that will happen. I'll just have to start scouring the internet for some of those resources right. and find them out there. <laughs> um. So what what got you started going to these conferences in the first place? Did you did you go on your own first as an attendee, or did you first start going to these conferences as an instructor?
1: in General, so it's gonna come full circle, right? So, uh, the first fire conference that I ever attended uh, was Les Lucard, and ah! yeah, yeah, it was actually the first fire conference that I ever went to. Uh, I was an you explorer. Remember what
0: year, oh
1: god, it was probably like 1990, 1998,
0: 1999. Okay.
1: Uh, so I was an explorer in Lincoln. And there was this, I heard about this fire conference, everybody was talking about it. And I'm like, man, that would be really cool. I'd love to go to that. And so I talked to a couple of the people around Lincoln. And they were like, well, yeah, if you want to go. Um, and I, I honestly, I feel horrible. I can't remember who took me. I don't remember how I got there. Um, you
0: were also kind of young if you were an explorer, though. So. Yeah,
1: well, yeah. I mean, I, I went with other people. I mean, I rode there with other people. But um we ended up going and and I sat in on a, a rapid intervention class and this is back when rit was like a huge thing and it was new and cool and everybody was like ooh you know two in two out rit teams and, and i was just like oh man and so that was the first time that i'd heard the denver story with Longren, and um you know the the brett tarver story from phoenix and so i think it was the first time that I was kind of exposed to going to a fire conference. And then I got to see like the social aspect. And obviously I wasn't old enough to drink or anything like that, but I mean, I got to see firefighters all hanging out with each other and drinking and talking shop. And so it, it set the tone for what I wanted to do with the future of my career. And I was like, man, I would love to be able to not only go to these conferences, but eventually I want to be the person standing up there in the front of the class teaching. And you know, that was at a very, very young age. So it kind of set the bar for what I wanted to do in the future. And from there, I mean, I just started picking up whatever conferences I could go to, uh, whether they were local or uh, like once I moved down to Kansas City, there's one down here called Scafa, um, which is the Kansas. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, I went out there and took some classes and they've had some, you know, and then the fools started coming about. And so now there's fools conferences that I've gone to and Um, and then obviously morphed into being an instructor, which opens up all the doors, uh, to be able to go to these things. But the one big thing that I I always touch on, you and I've had these conversations, it doesn't matter if I go and I teach at a conference or I go as a student, I always take classes. So it doesn't matter. I mean, even if I go teach at a conference, if the most I can do is sit in for a couple hours here and there on a conference class, I'll do it. Because to me, it's doing a disservice. I mean, I'm not going to sit in my hotel room and, you know, play around on social media when I could be sitting in a class learning from somebody.
0: Always learning, never done with it. I mean, you can learn from everybody, even if, I don't know, everyone has a different perspective. And even if you don't necessarily like who else is teaching at the conference, depending or whatever, you can still learn something from them or gets you to think about something else differently. Me, you know, pop something in your head. So
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we learn from students all the time. I mean, that's not a, that's not a new thing. I mean, we learn just as much from the students sometimes as they learn from us as instructors. So it's, uh, it's nice to be able to sit there and don't get me wrong. I mean, I've sat in on classes where I'm like, Ooh, that, that, <laughs> that, that, that was not great. Uh, you know, and, and, but, but it
0: solidified your thought of, of, of your own train of thought that, that fits better.
1: Well, absolutely. And I mean, you're, you're, the, the methodology in which they're presenting the information might not be your style. Um, the the information itself, you know, I've sat in on classes where I'm like, oh, those statistics aren't right, but okay. Um, but again, it's those things that you you go and you learn and even if you didn't like it or it wasn't the right information, that gives you a, a starting point to say, okay. I'm, I'm seeing where they're going kind of off the beaten path with this information. Now I'm going to go do my own research. And when I look at it, I'm like, okay, well, they were close, but here's the data. And this is why. So I'm still learning stuff, even if they put out, you know, incorrect data, or, you know, maybe they say something wrong. Um, it, It just kind of perks you up. And you're like, well, maybe I should go back and review that. Maybe I didn't understand it right.
0: And maybe I should rephrase this. So I did I didn't mean to make it sound like there's plenty a ton of instructors that don't know what they're talking about or something. That's not what I meant to say. <laughs>
1: oh no, no, no. I
0: just I just want to like clarify that for anyone listening. I didn't mean to like go on like there's bad bunch of bad instructors. No, 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 no. I didn't I did not mean that that way. So <laughs>
1: No, but I mean, even me and, and listen, you and I, I'm an open book, right? Like, you know, yeah. uh, in talking to me, there's not a whole lot that I won't, uh, hold back, but I mean, I've even gotten called out in classes where, as I'm talking about something or I'm using statistics, somebody's in the back on their phone and they're like, Hey, um, actually you're off. And I'm like, really? And then they'll correct me. And I'm like, okay. So, uh, I was wrong and that guy Googled it and uh, he has the right answer. So I'm not above being wrong. And I don't think any instructor is.
0: Yeah. So, so you're talking about how, how you started instructing and everything. So how did you actually start Valor fire training?
1: Yeah. So, uh, back in 2015, we decided to make it official and we came up with a name and we, I think there were like six different things that we thought of as far as the name and all that. Um, but really it started before that it was a group of, uh, firefighters that I worked with who all really enjoyed teaching. And so we would go around and we would teach classes. Like we had a guy that was really into forcible entry. Uh, I was really into like engine work. Uh, we had a, 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 he was a captain at the time, but uh, he's since been promoted to assistant chief. He was real big on command. And so we would just go and teach all these classes. Well, then my wife, I I say this lovingly, like I love my wife, we're happily married, but I mean, she was getting really upset because we were spending all of our money to pay for hotels and travel and going to all these places to do these classes. And we weren't charging anything. And so she said, Hey, if you're going to do this, that's great. Uh, I support you hundred percent, but you really need to make this a business so that, you know, you can use business money and it's separate from ours. And I was like, yeah, no, that sounds great. Uh, mm-hmm. and so I was like, how do I start a business? <laughs> and <laughs> So through the wonders of the fire service, everybody knows something about something.
0: Isn't that uh, funny? It is.
1: It is. And so I had a friend of mine who had started a side gig and he was like, Oh man, I got you. And so he kind of walked me through the process and got me set up with everything that we needed. Um, And so that's how Valor Fire Training started. And so uh, since that happened, we have changed kind of the way we do some things. Um, You know, we were never really big at marketing. We've never been and probably never will be, uh, you know, real big into marketing. We want it to be organic, we want it to be word of mouth. Um, you know, we do have a social media presence and obviously we do the YouTube and the podcast and all that. Um, but we want people like you who interacted with us to tell people about how we teach and that's kind of how we want Valor Fire Training to grow. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I'd love to be able to pay for ads and pay for commercials and stuff like <laughs> that, but it's just not, it's, it's really not who we are as instructors and it doesn't really represent how we are as a company.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there's something to be said about word of mouth marketing. There, there, something awesome comes about when the people decide for themselves what they like and decide to share it. And it, it is 10,000 times more powerful than you putting out an ad out there for somebody else to go to other people and say, Hey, here's what I went through. You should get this guy to come in and, you know, train and everything, because it's going to be worth your time. It's rather than them just looking up, okay, what, uh, let's see fire training in Kansas, uh, you know, so different.
1: Yeah. And, and, and it's hard. I mean, you know, I've, I've, I mean, since 2015, I've been like, Hey, if you liked our class, go leave us a review on Facebook or go, you know, put something on TikTok. Uh, well, TikTok wasn't a thing back in (laughs) 2015, but since then, I mean, we we try to get people to engage on social media. Um, but at the same time, we are probably the worst profession at doing that. Like I will have a student that I meet in one of my classes who posts like eight things on TikTok, but they never tag us. And so I'm like, Hey man, uh, those are awesome deals that you sent out like of the class. And that's great. But like, can you tag us on it too? And they're like, Oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. So you have to be on top of your social media game as well, um, but that's how we want it to grow. I mean, we want it to be organic, um, and 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 nothing against people that do a lot of the marketing stuff, but all of the instructors that I know that I've networked with over the years that I've respected, um, we all feel the same way. We like we want it to be organic because we feel like that's the best way to do it.
0: Yeah, I think I think when you start getting into the marketing side, you have to be very careful about how much you do, um, and it has to feel like, like your company, like your brand, what, what you want to put forward. So yeah, where you're not just throwing forward every here's one, another class, here's another class, here's a highlight reel, here's, you know, whatever, like, and share and subscribe. And you get this, And you know, like, right. It's great for people who do that. But you know, if you want to, if places out there want to get into that marketing, you just have to be sorry, marketing's my thing. Uh, (laughs) You just, I can get very passionate about it. But you you just have to be careful about how much you do. Um, it can come off nice and it can come off really sleazy. So right, you just have to right. be careful. So, yeah. Anyways, yeah. Rabbit trailed down there, too. And we're off of marketing because otherwise I would
1: talk. <laughs> we're going to spend the next podcast. three hours talking about marketing.
0: Oh, my goodness. Okay. So moving into how I actually met you. So I'll tell a little bit of the backstory of how I got there in the first place. So I was trying to find somewhere to basically get a training in because I had been listening to a couple different podcasts. I was listening to the average Jake Firefighter podcast and I was listening to the Firefighter Training Podcast by Pete Liam. Those were like the first two I ever listened to. And they had gotten me kind of riled up a little bit <laughs> to start to start getting out there and going to an actual training. So I found one and it's this was like a month before the conference started so like early January I just happened to randomly see it on Facebook go look at the class list and like it says it's like a training conference or whatever so I'm like well first of all it's it's for training instructors so I probably shouldn't go (laughs) because I don't know if I qualify I know I don't qualify but I'm looking there at my husband I'm like you're a training officer I'll have you go and I'll go too and then it'll be okay right you know smart Sly me trying to, you know, go in under the radar. Right.
1: You're just tagging along.
0: (laughs) Exactly. And then we get signed up for classes, and I'm looking through the descriptions. And I see I see the class description for your all day Friday class, which at that point was search and rescue under live fire, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, this is fun. I've never really done a lot of search and rescue, and I really haven't done live fire and I want more live fire training. So let's go do this. And I'm reading through the description. I'm like, sounds a little intense. I took it back and forth to Chris like three different times throughout the throughout a week before I signed up. I'm like, should I do this? He's like, yeah. A couple of days later, should I do this? Yes, yeah, sign up. Should I do this? Yes, Taylor, just sign up already. <laughs> so I went ahead and signed up for it and some other classroom classes for the rest of the weekend. I wasn't up for a full full weekend of hands-on training because, you know, not, not super into it yet. And uh, Chris was boring. He did just classroom classes the whole time. But, you know... Right. He, he regrets that now. <laughs>
1: yeah. Don't, don't worry about the hot classes. Let's just go sit in the classroom.
0: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, so we get there and I get to the class. I'm not going to lie a little bit freaking out everybody in there. It. I didn't know whether everyone was volunteer career. They all seemed like career to me who were in the class. I'm like, crap. And I, I, what we sat through the classroom portion and my, my brain and heart rate were just out the roof while you're going through all your search stuff and like, here's all the stuff you need to look for. Like, here's some hazards with it. Here's some statistics and the methyl ethyl bad stuff. I can't tell you how much that phrase has stuck in my brain. Right. <laughs> you know, the stupid little things that happen in there, you know, and we finally go outside and I'm paired up with Logan. I, sh- I should not have been paired up with Logan, but <laughs> we're going through the house, uh, through the fake house and stuff like that. And he's like, zooming past me and whatnot right. well this is a great pair up you know this is going to be perfect uh I, I i can't forget when you threw the baby out the window first of all i wasn't expecting it second of all i had no clue if logan was just that good or taking the class before because he dove right. for that baby
1: <laughs> yeah and that, and, and not only was it the first time I met you, that was also the first time that I met Logan. Who's oh, okay. So he yeah. hadn't
0: taken your class yet.
1: He had not Dang. taken my class. And so
0: that was impressive. Not yeah, that, w-
1: that was the first class that I had met Logan, who's also going to be on your show and who was also one of our uh, cadre members. And that way there's, there's few moments where you're like, okay that dude gets it or that chick is totally into the job. And so like when he, <laughs> I think he dropped a ladder and like yes. head first to grab the kid.
0: Yes. And did. I was
1: like, all right, that I find out who that dude is. And I remember turning to one of the other instructors that was with us. I'm like, find out who that dude is. I want to talk to him. Um, and that was kind that. of the start of Logan, a nice uh, friendship as well. So friendship. <laughs> yeah. So, but no, keep going, keep going.
0: No, it was um, then basically just going throughout the whole Friday. It was, it was long. It was hard. Um, I'm pretty sure I ended up accidentally stabbing one of your instructors in the back with a halogen while I was trying to drag him out of a house. I'm so sorry for that, by the way. Oh, do you remember that?
1: You did. Yeah, no, okay. I mean, there was, yeah, there's, we are we get routinely injured uh, doing a lot of different stuff, but yes, I do distinctly remember somebody coming out and being like, I don't know what I got hit with, but that really hurt, and I'm pretty sure I have a stab wound in my back.
0: Whoops. Sorry. So, sorry. They didn't die. However many years later, I'm sorry. Um, sorry. <laughs> They didn't die. I saw them again. I don't know if you liked me so much the second time around, but.
1: <laughs> it's fine. It happens.
0: But um, no, no, go through the whole class. It was, it was a great day. It was, worked me really hard. I loved it. I thought that was it. Just fantastic. Go take all day Saturday uh, hand, uh, lecture classes. It was great. Well, what had happened that weekend with Les Luker, something screwy happened, I think, with the registration. Mm-hmm. So the classes were screwed up. And so they kind of said, just kind of take what you want and sign in once you're there and we'll get it all figured out in the back end. So I took all the Saturday classes that I wanted to take. And then I, we were hanging out at the bar that night and I got talking to one of your instructors. Um, Crap. Can't remember his name.
1: Well, there was Dylan. There was Darren.
0: Oh, maybe it was, maybe it was Dylan. Maybe it wasn't me. I
1: think it, I think it was Dylan. Cause he was like, Hey, I just got like five more people to sign up for our class. And I was like, okay.
0: Oh, I thought it was special. <laughs> Never mind. Okay. <laughs> no, but we were, we were, uh, hanging out and I went up to go get another drink and he talked to him a little bit and he was just like, yeah, we didn't have you in class today. I'm like, well, I was taking the classroom or stuff today and everything. And he's like, he should really come back. I'm like, I don't know if I'm up for another day of this. This was a lot of work the first time I loved it but you know, I'm kind of new at this and I don't think it's going to work out that well. And after probably 10 or 15 minutes of talking, he convinced me to basically switch my classes up and come back the next day and do hands-on training again. Okay. So I go back completely dead already. It's like this, this four hours are going to wipe me out from that morning. And with the fluke of classes, there was only five or six people in the class. And What you had four instructors there, yeah. four or five instructors. So, like yeah. it was pretty much one-to-one the whole time. Yep. That was that's not normal, but it was incredible, <laughs> it was so crazy. And we we went in so many times, you know. I I had so many cycles in going through with it. It was just, I don't know, it's something I, I went back and I told the rest of my department about, and they, they never quite understood, but it's just like you don't get that most of the time and even if it would have been a full class we still would have got more reps in than what you would at other classes that i i had gone to before so anyway so then that that second day the first day was great don't get me wrong it was whatever but the set that sunday morning was the big day the pinnacle of i'm going to this conference i'm i'm putting myself out there for this. I could either stay where I am and not grow anymore. Basically just kind of stay, stay on the track I'm on or go head first into this thing and learn a whole lot more and try to keep going and whatnot. And that Sunday morning definitely set me on that second path.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think I remember the moment that that actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> so I, <clears throat> yeah, it, uh, and if you don't want me to tell the story, I won't, it's up to you, but I I love telling the story of the the dragon slayer. So do you, do you mind? That's fine. (laughs) Okay. So, so when you came to our class the first day, uh, you were timid, you were really quiet. Uh, and you know, we were kind of, we always size up all the different students and kind of figure out where their strengths and where their weaknesses are. Um, but for me, one of the things that I was looking at was, you were eager to learn, but you were super, super reserved. And you were just kind of like sitting back and you're in the corner and you're kind of watching everything go down. Um, and so we were trying to engage you and trying to get you involved. And and you kind of came out of your shell on that first day. And then the second day when you showed up, uh, I remember you walked up to me and you were like, hey, do you have a second? And I'm like, yeah, what's up? And you're like, all right, listen, I don't get a lot of fire training. I don't get a lot of live fire training. Uh, I am super nervous about this. And I'm like, listen, you're going to be fine. Just stick with us. And, you know, we're not going to like throw you in the burn container and just be like, here you go. And so we did, we talked about a lot of different things. And as you were going in uh, on that first scenario, I remember that you, the, the best way that I can equate it is you're, you're like the real quiet lady from uh, police academy, you know, where she's standing there and she's like, excuse me, <laughs> excuse me. Excuse me. And then eventually she's like, get out of the damn way. (laughs) Like you, you started coming out of your shell because like people were walking over you, like figuratively and literally, they were walking over you because you were like super worried about going down the hallway and there was a lot of smoke and then there was a lot of heat. And so after the first scenario, I pulled you off to the side and I'm like, all right, listen, I'm like, I want you to sit there and think about this for two seconds. What is your goal here? And you're like, well, I want to be a better firefighter. And I'm like, great. And and I said, why are you here? And you're like, I'm here to learn. I said, great, we're going to teach you. And I said, you're going to be my dragon slayer. Like you are going to be the one that goes in and knocks this fire out. And you're like, I don't think I can do that. I'm like, you're going to do it. And you're going to be my dragon slayer. You're going to be my dragon slayer. And you're like, (laughs) yeah, I think I can be your dragon slayer. And so as we're talking, you're getting more and more kind of, you know, amped up. And I can tell you're kind of getting excited. And I'm like, okay, great. Let's go do this. And so as we made it down that hallway, um, for those of you listening, we were in a Connex box apartment kind of style layout, and it was connected to a flashover container. So in that flashover container, we're burning OSB and uh, I mean, nothing super crazy, but we did have some really, really good thick dark smoke. We had trailers, we had streamers, we had you know rollovers. And I remember as we turned the corner, I looked at you and your eyes just got really big and there's fire rolling down this hallway. And I'm like, open that line and go slay that dragon. And all of a sudden you just screamed out. You're like, I'm a dragon slayer. And you went down that hall and you started screaming and you were putting that fire out. And within about 30, 40 seconds, that fire got knocked down. Um, And when we came out, the look on your face, as you took your mask off, Uh, You were smiling from ear to ear and you just turned to all of us and you were like, that was the coolest thing I've ever (laughs) seen in my entire life. Uh, And so that was the moment where I was like, okay, she gets it. Like she absolutely gets it. The fear of either making a mistake or not knowing what you're doing was gone. Um, And it was replaced with your, you kind of replaced that fear with confidence. And so seeing that in your eyes and seeing it in your, in your body language. I was like, all right, cool. And for the rest of the conference, I mean, you, I don't know if you realize it, but I mean, you were literally coming down the hallway and the guys that were doing searches, you're like, Hey, move, I'm pulling the hose line, get out of my way. And the guys are like, who the hell is this chick? And when they come back out, they're like, is that Taylor? Did she just tell me to get out of the way? Cause you hadn't said anything in the morning part. Right. Yeah. Uh, And so, yeah, you, you, you got very aggressive and you got very in a good way.
0: I don't remember any of that, but lo- that was a blur. Just but, not going to lie. <laughs> I know.
1: I know. And and so, uh, no, we're
0: stimulating for the weekend. <laughs> I,
1: there was a lot of information that was coming at you. Um, but no, I mean, it was cool to see you come out of your shell and, and you definitely, the biggest takeaway for me was that you replaced that fear and not being confident with being confident, but still wanting to learn. And so every step of the way, you know, you were trying different patterns and you were trying different nozzle selections and, um you know when we showed you the difference between the smooth bore and the fog you're like oh my god I get it like I totally get it now because the fog does this and the smooth bore does this um and so when we walked out I just remember like the look on your face as you walked away and I turned to some of the other instructors and they were like okay dude she gets it and again as I said before it wasn't maybe six or seven months later that you had kind of reached out to me and you're like, okay, here's where I was when I showed up for that conference and here's where I'm at now. And it's because of your guys's class. And that was huge. I mean, that just, it almost kind of, I don't get all teary eyed and like super sentimental. Um, but you man; it, you
0: don't get all sentimental.
1: No, no. I mean, I do. I mean, I'm, I'm, listen, I cry at commercials all the time. My wife's like, Oh my God, stop. Just change the channel. Quit watching this. Um, but no, I mean, it, it really, it, it changed how i viewed what your interaction with us was because i thought it was just us teaching you some cool stuff and you got to take some things back to your department we didn't realize how much of an impact we had on you until you had reached out to us
0: that's the interesting thing though because you you don't know how much impact you have on another person and and you can't ever be the judge of that you you can never know until somebody else tells you if you were or weren't an impact i mean it's one of those things like you don't, you don't always have to be on your guard necessarily, but you never know like how many other people could have been after me that you have taught or before me. And you just, maybe they never told you exactly how much it meant to them, but maybe it did the same thing as well, you know, and typically granted in the fire service, you don't tend to have uh, a lot of people who have really never, never done something, you know, come into your classes. So it's, it doesn't happen that often, but you know, it's, it's crazy because you never know who's in that class and what their life circumstances have been like and where their personal journey is at the moment and what yeah. impact you can have. So if you have a if you have a bad interaction, if you're having a bad day as an instructor, this is just coming from a student. I've never actually instructed anything except for a couple local trainings. But you know, you if you come at it lazy like or whatever you know that could have a negative impact and could send somebody down the other path where they're just not into it anymore or you know if you bring it every day that you're training you know like you guys did that day I don't know what what it was that day but you guys or that weekend you know but you guys were super into it no matter what and even though it was cold (laughs) it was it was (laughs) super
1: cold it was so cold But that you you bring up a really good point. I think, you know, we as instructors uh, have to be acutely aware of what we're saying and how we're saying it. And so, uh, you know, me as an instructor and also as a business owner for a training company, you have to be aware of how your students are putting out or how your uh, students are receiving the information that you're putting out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're, we're real picky about who we choose as instructors because we don't want to have somebody who you know, everybody's entitled to have a bad day. Yeah, right. It happens. Um, but, but, you know, imagine your situation if you would have gone and and Dylan and Darren and myself would have been like, yeah, well, you know, you go down the hallway, you spray some water, the fire goes out, it's cold, let's get this done. And that's it. Right. Mm-hmm. You would have never got the experience that you got. Um, and so I, I think it's really important for instructors to understand what they're putting out and how it's perceived by the students. And it's also important for the students to understand um, that you're going to have instructors that have a bad day and they might not be on their a game. Uh, those things happen from time to time, but the goal is, is to find classes and instructors where, uh, they're able to overcome that, or they're still going to put out a quality class, even when they're having a bad day.
0: Yeah, no, it was, it was an amazing experience. And now like every year, I'm just excited to see you back at Les Curt again. <laughs> you haven't done hot classes again there yet, but, um, it's still maybe there. someday.
1: Yeah, we'd love to come back and do hot classes. Um, you know, we we really focus on the realism uh in, in training and I think that's what benefited you the most. Uh and and, the, and not to you know bust your bubble, but I mean it wasn't the class wasn't just about you, right? Like there were well, little...
0: I know that, but you guys did <laughs> such a good job somehow at like tailoring 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 it to Taylor a little bit. We did. And- and, and still serving people like Logan or other people, you know, in the class. And I don't know how you did it, but it was amazing.
1: And that's, <laughs> you no, know, and that's the point that I, and
0: I didn't feel defeated.
1: Yeah. And that's the point that I was making is that it, it really truly wasn't just about you. It was about everybody. And we tailored different things like your You didn't get to see the other scenarios, like the other scenarios that we put out there. Uh, if there were more veteran people who are more experienced, Uh, we gave them harder scenarios than what you had, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, we were burning a lot of OSB. We tailored the smoke conditions and the fire conditions to be as realistic as we could humanly make them without violating like every NFPA policy, uh, and standard. And so, you know, a lot of people, when they came out of that class yours, and when we've done that class in other places, they're like, man, I've never seen fire conditions like that inside our burn building. Um, And we've had instructors who have come back or or not instructors rather, but like they're the the hosting agencies, training staff, and they're like, Hey man, that smoke's really dark. It's looking like it's getting ready to roll over. And I'm like, right. That's what we're trying to do. And they're like, "Uh, are you sure? Like, are you, you guys monitoring this? And we're like, no, no, no. We have like four ticks. We're good. Like we it's 350, 400. Like we're probably going to get it up to five or six, but they're like, okay. You know, once they kind of get comfortable with what we're doing, we want to have those different flow paths. We want to have the different conditions to where, you know, one time it's going to be a room in contents and you can go knock it out with, with a water can, but we also want to be able to have that fire coming down the hallway at you where you have to fight with it a little bit. And mm-hmm. so that was the, you know, when we put you in there and I'll never forget when your eyes got really big and you did the battle cry <laughs> and <laughs> you're like, I'm a dragon slayer. And you went down the hallway, you didn't realize you were doing it, but you opened up that nozzle and you just flowed water the entire time as you were going down that hall. And so in that moment, you know, you got everything that we were trying to teach you. And so um, from you to all the other students, everybody got kind of their own individual. Um,
0: Experience from it.
1: Yeah. They, they were able to pull from it in their own way. Um, and so that's really important for us is to make sure that it's realistic and that everybody is able to take something from it, whether you're brand new right out the, out the gate, or if you've been in the fire service for 20 years, we want you to learn something
0: that was the weirdest thing is putting putting my hand up and like I, I hadn't been in a super dark smoke-filled environment like that before not that crazy and I put my hand on it just it just leaves you just can't see it and it's you can't replicate it it's really hard to replicate and I'm just like this is so weird
1: yeah
0: I've never been anywhere where I can't see out like a foot past my face like it I don't know it, it took me a few times to kind of come to terms with that to figure out okay you know, just do everything the same way you've been doing and you'll be fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's that confidence building thing. I mean, a lot of people have not done anything other than theatrical smoke and 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 it has its place, right? Like, I'm not yeah. saying that you have to do live fire 110% every time, um, but that theatrical smoke does not compare with the actual performance of real fire conditions. And so um, you weren't the only one who was like, I've never seen that before in real life. <laughs>
0: Um, okay. So talking about realistic trainings, it's something different than what you tend to get at your home departments. And there are ways definitely to make your home trainings more realistic. And there, there are definitely a lot of pros to going to trainings that, that boast realistic training to it. So when we were at that training at Leslie Gert, this is the one I'm pulling from, even though I've gone to a couple different ones with you now, but at that one, because the, the the training you did over the weekend was fire for effect is what you did. And I remember going back in on Sunday morning and you had gone through a few different ways to make training realistic very, very easily back at your department. And I've talked about some of these before on another episode of the podcast. Um, but one of the ones I saw you do, which just seems so simple to me, it's just why hadn't, I'm sure other people have thought about before, you know, but, you took what 5 gallon buckets i think you had cement or something and you put gate posts in it and you made a gate
1: yeah just yeah.
0: i had you seen that somewhere before just kind of thought of it or
1: so with all great things in the fire service uh that you know we all uh at times think alike and so yeah. i've seen i had seen it in some other places and i've seen it since Uh, And there's no like direct correlation that I can sit there and be like, oh, I learned it from here. And I then somebody learned it from me. Like, I think we all had the same idea. And (laughs) uh, yeah, but I mean, I know, uh, you know, like the throwing babies thing that came from Brothers in Battle uh, out on the the Mm. Pacific Northwest. And, uh, you know, we had already been doing things like that, um, but not to the extent that they do. And so we kind of picked and pulled from what they do. And uh, and so the, the post thing, it really kind of came from having, uh, I went to a training where they were parking cars where the ladders were supposed to be placed. And so you had these obstacles that you couldn't place the ladder where you wanted to because there's a car there. And so it really challenged you because in your head, what you're trained during fire one and fire two is that, you know, your your ladder has to be a perfect, you know, 72 degrees and you have to do the arm test and all this other stuff. Well, when you don't have the ability to do that, what do you do? And so um, that kind of progressed to, okay, if we're going to do this, let's build like a patio with a gate where they have limited access or maybe there's a lock on the gate and they can't get through. And so we tell the students, if we don't build a full out, you know, with pallets and stuff, build a full <laughs> gate, yeah. uh, or, or a fence, um, we'll at least say, Hey, your access is through that gate. You cannot come to the other side until everyone goes through that gate. Uh, and so it's just something simple. We built it there at Carney, and we left it. And to my knowledge, they're still using it. I mean, I think, I
0: think so. It was there last pretty, year when I was there. Yeah. And I, I was surprised to it see routinely. it. <laughs> So, no, it's something easy that you can just kind of pick up, move to a different space. And even if you have the same training building that you're doing with everything, you just make it a little bit different scenario by moving that around. Um, Are there some other little, I guess, not even little, just any other easy ones for departments to start implementing for their?
1: Yeah. So the one that I'm really big on right now, and and it kind of comes in ebbs and flows, right? There's certain things that I, shiny, shiny keys, and I focus on that for a little bit. Um, But, you know, one of the things that has bugged me for a long time is that, uh, you know, if we go and we do, I'll ask you, like thermal imager training. If you do searches with a thermal imager in the bay of a station, uh, the victim is always going to be the lighter color in the screen, right? Because they're the warmest thing in the room. Well, when we go into fires, the victims are routinely not the warmest thing in the room. So they're going to be a darker color, um, different shades of grays and, and blacks. And so... When we talk about, uh, you know, recognizing and what you're seeing and what your brain perceives, uh, as I started talking to a lot of other veteran firefighters, I'm like, Hey, how many times have you seen, whether it's a dog or a cat or some sort of victim, right? It doesn't have to be a human. Um, but how many times have you seen something and you scanned right past it because it wasn't what you're used to seeing in the colorization. And we all started thinking about it and it's like, Oh crap. But that's actually like, that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and something as simple as like a couch or a chair, it's the, it's the complete opposite in training. It's going to be the darkest thing because it's the coolest thing in the room. Well, when you're in a fire, those things are absorbing the radiant heat. And so they're going to be look different. And so, uh, what we started doing is taking mannequins. We would hose them off so that they're the coolest thing in the room. Um, if we use a live victim, we would actually, you know, put, we'd take a bucket of ice or whatever, and we put their arms and legs inside the bucket for, okay. you know, you know, five, six seconds, just something to cool it off. Uh, and then the, we'd run the scenario. So when the person's scanning with the thermal imager, as they come across this victim, it's cool to watch because if they haven't ever seen this before, they'll scan the room and they'll scan right past the victim. And then you'll see them stop for a second and they go right back. And it's almost like it took longer for their brain to process like, oh, hell, that's an arm and a leg.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. Um, And so that's something that you can do. That's a very little cost, Um, you know, and and there are some companies and I say this a lot, like there are companies out there right now that are making coveralls or things that you can attach to a mannequin or a person that have heat packs or they have the coils that heat up. And the thought process is, well, you know, it'll work better for your thermal imager. Well, yeah, that's great. But that's the complete opposite of what we want the students to see. Where I see that being really applicable is like search and rescue training, Um, you know, out in the wilderness where you're having to search or water rescue training where you want that to be the warmest thing in the water. Um, So it has its place, but for structural search and rescue, that's not it you know, you want that victim to be the coolest thing in the room. So that's kind of been my soapbox here for the last year or so, uh, as I'm trying to change that mentality and change that mindset of we don't want to have the victim be the warmest thing in the room because most of the time in a real fire, they're not
0: interesting because I don't know if I've heard that from you before. And I, when we had put together kind of our episode on some real estate trainings that Chris and I had thought of in a couple that we had we gave you due credit okay but we have borrowed from you and things <laughs> you know one of the ideas was we actually thought of just doing ice packs yeah and just just throwing a bunch of because like what chris and i even have like what five or so here you get other people who have a bunch of ice packs or just bags of ice or whatever and just use that it's cheap and you're able to stick them in the freezer to refreeze again and bring them back out and just stick that with a person or a mannequin or whatever so i mean yeah it's funny, same train of thought. I just hadn't heard that anywhere before. So I was just curious.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I've toyed around with, you know, if you think about a lot of the newer thermal imagers, they have the capability of, of getting really, really detailed. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so even something as simple as, you know, I don't know, a wheel chalk, (laughs) you know, like something, (laughs) something inanimate that you can sit there and take and be like, okay, we're going to go throw this in the fridge for five minutes and then go put it in the room. Like it's something that's different. And, and you can have it be whatever you want it to be. And so, um, it really is, you know, with, with baby mannequins, with adult mannequins, um, it doesn't have to be, I mean, there are times where they are going to be the warmest thing on the room, but just having that variability of like, sometimes they are the warmest thing. Sometimes they're not. I think that that's important to get our, our recognition, prime decision-making tuned for that.
0: Yeah. So my brain often wanders uh, as it does. Um, so I'm thinking just randomly in some of your scenarios or whatever, or in trainings you've gone to or put on, do you ever or often put victims or things like just under blankets or hiding different places or whatever? Cause like, so we're saying that's ever going out is however everyone tells people or the public tells the public to go hide in places or whatever, when a fire happens and things, right. How how often do you do that to, to kind of, I don't know, just curious.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I will tell you this, a lot of our scenarios uh, are spur of the moment, right? The, the outline of the scenario, we know what it is and it's planned well in advance, but as far as where the victims are going to be and the way in which the victims are going to present themselves are different, from scenario to scenario, and sometimes they change depending on the students during the scenario. So, uh, a great example. <laughs> so, well, so uh, I'll give you this. So, like we have routine, we routinely put you know mannequins in beds underneath blankets. Okay. Um, we put baby mannequins in cribs with a whole bunch of other toys, right? Mm-hmm. Like in the perfect world, as a parent, we all know that, you know, you're not supposed to put your kid face down. You're not supposed to put your kid in there with a bunch of stuff that they could choke on.
0: Oh, but you do it.
1: The real world is a lot of parents do that. Mm -hmm. And so when you're doing a search and it's like, you know, uh, cabbage patch kid, cabbage patch kid, cabbage patch kid. Oh crap. That's a real kid. Right? Like that's hard to discern in a real fire. So we do that a lot where we'll take a mannequin and say, okay, here's going to be your baby mannequin. And then we put it in there with a bunch of cabbage patch or stuffed animals or whatever. Um, and then as far as the victims, we put them in precarious places. Like we'll put them in a, in a tub, right? Okay. Um, but we don't put them in a tub that's empty. We fill the tub up with water.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Yeah. And so, because I mean, think about
0: things. It. If, yeah. Yeah. If
1: you're going to go sit in a tub and you're going to try to protect yourself from a fire, most people are going to say, Oh my God, I'm going to burn alive. So I'm going to turn on the water. So we put them in the water because when you search that tub, your first instinct, when you put your hand in there and all of a sudden your glove gets wet, you're going to pull your hand back out
0: mm-hmm. and you're
1: going to be like, Okay, wait a minute. Was that a toilet? What was that? Um, and so some people won't actually go back and search the rest of the tub. If we're not using live fire, Uh, Todd Edwards has done this and and I've done it a couple of times as well. I will get into the tub and when they come find me, I'm going to kind of go nuts on them, right? Like I'm Mm going to cough and hack. And and then when they grab me, I'm going to kind of spaz out a little. Um, So when we talk, you kind of perked up when I said that we change it during the actual scenario, if the students are spot on and they're just finding all the victims real quick and they're doing what they're supposed to do, I may make it a little bit more difficult. You know, I may sit there if I'm laying flat on the floor I might go wedge myself behind a couch,
0: oh, mm-hmm. you
1: know, so it it depends on the, the level of the students. Uh, if they're getting a little bit too comfortable, we're going to spin it up a little bit to make it harder for them.
0: That's nice. That's a, that's an interesting way to do it too, because then yeah, you can make it different for each person that comes in and searches and put it to their skill levels for it.
1: Sure. And, and one, uh, one other thing real quick. So this is not on the civilian rescue side, but I was just in uh, Georgia for the Bears of the oath conference. And, and I ended up being a victim for uh, firefighter survival. And when I, when I, they said, Hey, Dave, you're going to be a victim. You're gonna be unconscious, go in there and do your thing. I was like, okay, cool. So I found the weirdest, smallest corner that I could wedge myself into and uh, I'd happen to have a wall breach prop. So I stuck my head halfway through the wall breach prop and I had the regulator hose was kind of wrapped around in the song. At the time it was for theatrical stuff, but we, uh, I, I wrapped some things around the beams. And so it wasn't just a straight, like go in, grab the firefighter and pull them out. But I took a toddler mannequin and put it underneath me. Mm. So the scenario was, and they didn't know this at the time, but the scenario was that I was a firefighter who had found a victim was on his way out, got disoriented, got lost, ended up in a corner and ran out of air. And so when they came and got me, uh, I gotta be honest, man. uh, you know, the the crew that came and got me, when they rolled me off, they started checking my air. They checked to see if I was breathing. I held my breath. They were like, hey, he's not breathing. We need to get him out. Uh, And about five seconds after they started dragging me, one of the guys was like, hey, did you search the area to make sure that there's no other victims? And the other guy was like, no. And he goes back, he's like, victim, victim, victim. I got a toddler. I'm like, damn it. You know, like I was yeah. I was like, man, I was really hoping you I was going to get him, him. on that. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I mean, again, the way that we teach RIT and the way that we teach firefighter survival, it's always unconscious cardiac arrest. Yeah. That's all we ever train for. We don't train for other scenarios where what were they doing when they got in the mayday? What, what, what were they doing when they were uh, ran out of air? It's not always me just running out of air in the middle of a big warehouse. It might be that I'm dragging a victim.
0: Well, yeah, and I know one of your big things is if you train for these different scenarios and everything, you've already come up against it once. So it's not going to be weird to you when you go and face it or something either that level or under or whatever, when you actually go to an actual fire
1: yeah. Students. That's
0: definitely the extreme scenario <laughs> for it, but yeah. Right.
1: And those students did a great job. I mean, they figured it out really quickly. The other students that came through in the other evolutions, they never caught it. They got outside and at the very end of the scenario, I'm like, hey, did you ever just over-search the area that I was in? And they were like, no. I'm like, well, you missed a toddler.
0: Mm-hmm. So with realistic training, I guess, do you have any other just basic thoughts over any of it?
1: So I think... Yes. I think in a general sense, when you talk about realism and training, um, in no other occupation do we go as unrealistic as we do in the fire service, right? So the one that I always use is like airline pilots, right? When they learn how to fly airliners, when they learn how to fly commercial jets, uh, they do thousands and thousands of hours in a simulator. And that simulator can replicate almost everything. The only thing that I know of for a fact that they can't replicate is water landings, which I'll get to in a second, but I mean, they can, they can replicate storms. They can replicate uh, electrical failures. They can have switches that lock up. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of things that they can replicate. And so imagine if, you know, you got on an airplane and somebody was flying that plane. And the first thing that they said was, now, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, this is your pilot. Uh, we're going to be flying to Atlanta today. Uh, just so you know, I've never actually flown a real airplane. I have 30,000 hours in a simulator, and they say that that's going to be good enough. I'm not staying on that damn plane,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Like, if you've never flown a real airplane, and this is the first time, I don't want to be your guinea pig. Um, and so we have a really big tendency in the fire service to rely on simulations and theatrical stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And that's great, but I think you have to have realistic situations to replicate as close to real life as you can, which means real fire, real smoke conditions, Um, in some cases, real victims, right? Whether And I'm not advocating putting real victims in real burning buildings, but having them come out and having a real victim sitting there having difficulty breathing because they got smoke inhalation. That's a lot different than the always unconscious victim that we pull out. Right? Yeah. Um, So, again, those pilots that spend thousands of hours in a simulator, they get to the point where they can handle almost anything. And then they spend thousands of hours flying real planes. Law enforcement does simulator training all the time. And then they go out and they shoot real guns. Military does the same thing. Fire service, we put somebody through a simulation and then we throw them on a rig and expect them to go fight a real fire. And that's it. Like, hey, hope your training was good enough. Uh, and so I feel like as a if, as a if fire you get service, a lot of
0: that training <laughs>
1: right, right. And so my thing is, I think we need to do better as a fire service of kind of getting with looking at other professions and how they do training. Um uh, don't get me wrong, I know cops that go around and do training with nerf guns, right or airsoft guns or BB guns, uh, not BB, but like the little yeah. you know um, the... uh, sim munitions yeah uh, and so, and they hurt really bad. <laughs> <laughs> But I, there are ramifications, right? Like I went and did some munitions training for Tac Medic stuff. And when I got shot, I still have, I saw have scars, right? Like I still have marks on my arm. You can't see them. I'm showing Taylor, but I mean, I literally still yeah. have a scar on my arm from some munitions. And it hurt. And I know I have a completely different respect for that type of training now that I've been shot at and hit. Um, and so in fire, yeah, you can go through a really, really not hot gas-fed fire. But if that's the only thing that you know, when you're in a real fire and your ears start burning and you get those pinpricks across the back of your neck and your tank starts getting hot, it's a completely different situation. And so I feel like we're doing a disservice to the fire service by putting people out there who haven't experienced that.
0: You almost put a false sense of confidence into people and they they just don't know what they're walking into, like you're saying, and they they think everything's going to be fine, and the worst it's going to get is X far, you know, and it can get worse.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and and you know even something as far as um, you know having some sort of structural collapse. I mean, people unless they have been immobilized and not able to move, uh, it's something that you never want to have. I mean, I've gotten wrapped up in wires, I've had you know trusses come down, not. A whole truss, but I've had things come down on top of me um, where it kind of stopped me up, and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to get out of this before I can move," and it's not a fun feeling.
0: No, but- I got super lucky. Um, I was, <laughs> I, I'll call it air quotes structural collapse because technically the the kitchen did collapse in, but it was so slow motion that yeah. you had plenty of time to get out of the way, and everything was fine and whatnot, and then we evacuated from there after that. But it it was. So, you know, air quotes, structural collapse, but if that would have actually happened, you know, just my training at the time, because that was before I came out and did things with you or anything, I, you know, what state would I have been in? What would I have been able to do? Would I have been in a good state of mind and have the tools and mindset to be able to get out there, get out of there?
1: Yeah. And that's, I mean, I, I wholeheartedly believe kind of in a nutshell to answer your question. Uh, we've talked about rabbit holes earlier and this is kind of one of them. Um, but I mean, yeah, to answer your question, I don't think that the first time a lot of the firefighters in the fire service should experience this stuff is on an actual fire. We should be able to replicate this stuff. And I'm not talking about live fire, right? Like I, I would never advocate for trapping somebody underneath something in live fire. That's a horrible idea. Don't do that, but they can be in theatrical smoke and limited visibility and be trapped and restricted in their movement. And make them find their way out, make the other crews work to figure out a way to get something off of them or from around them. Um, Because the first time that that happens, you don't want it to be at three o'clock in the morning on a real fire.
0: Mm -hmm. So, so one thing I want to touch on before we jump off of the subject (laughs) is the adding stress to your realistic trainings. Um, Is there a system of how you figure out how much stress to put on or how you build stress? especially let's say it is for a department that either your department or department, you're used to training a lot. You know, how often do you increase the stress that's put on them? And I guess what are some ways that you do increase the stress that's put on them?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So stress inoculation training is a wonderful thing. Um, for those of you that don't know this stress makes you stupid, right? You do stupid things. <laughs> and uh, I, the one thing that I always say in my classes, like, if you don't believe me, think about the last time you were attracted to somebody and you had this whole plan of what you were going to say to them and you walked right up to them, your heart rate increases and tachycardia makes you stupid. And you might've had the greatest pickup line in the world, but what comes out of your mouth is. Hi. Right? <laughs> Remind, and,
0: reminds me of when I'm doing a podcast, you have all this great stuff. You have all your notes written. Then you go,
1: Absolutely. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we, we tend to underestimate the, the impact that stress has on us. So, Um, the biggest issue with stress inoculation training is that everybody deals with stress differently. And so it's really finding what your students or your subjects are going to do when they're stressed out and how much stress you have to apply. So, uh, a great example of that is there are the, 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 the the known conditions, right? You have condition white, gray, red, or white, yellow, red, black. Uh, and there's some grays in there. Anyway, if you go look it up, if you Google it, the the stress chart, um, different heart rates. And the one that we really try to keep people in is like condition gray and condition red. Um, condition black is where you basically go in the fetal position and piss your pants. And we don't want people, <laughs> we don't want people to far. do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't want them to, to check out completely. Um, but if people are not getting stressed out, you want to get them worked up. And what we're the goal that we're looking for is, uh, the reduction of fine motor skills, right? So I don't want them to be able to manipulate small things like a radio knob. I want them to not be able to use their fingers, uh, uh, effectively. The other thing that I want is some sort of auditory inclusion. So, uh, you know, if I can get them stressed out enough to where things are starting to become hard to hear, uh, or they start getting tunnel vision because those go hand in hand. So, Uh, The ways in which we do that is going to be different for everybody, but you can do physical activity, right? So if I have them run a circuit and get their heart rate up, um, then I apply something that they're not familiar with. So maybe putting together Lego blocks, right? You've just exerted them. Their heart rate is already up. Now you tell them that they have 30 seconds to put together this Lego block and you give them the instructions and they have to sit there with their fire gloves on and their mask and put everything together. Um, That's mentally stressful, right? Right. You can add in some screaming or some loud music. Um, And so once we get them up to that point where they're stressed, now this is where it begins. And so now we can take those students and have them go perform a search. And during that search, we're going to throw them some curveballs. We're going to be yelling at them. Um, You know, whether it's somebody in the front yard screaming, my kids are inside, you have to go get them. Uh, And so, again, as I've done this with other students, we want them to get stressed out to where they start looking around. And I know this is audio only, so people can't see this, but if you see people kind of looking from left to right and they're searching for something, um, that's them trying to figure out what they're going to do next. They're, they're not familiar with the, the process. And so they're for lack of better terms, they're searching that Rolodex and they can't come up with anything,
0: right? Everybody do that. And they just don't notice it.
1: I think they do. I mean, in my experience, yeah, they're just kind of, yeah, they'll either look at the ground or they'll kind of look side to side. Right. And so I'm constantly gauging students. Like if you're looking straight at me or if you're functioning and you're going from step one to step two, to step three, to step four, and you're just not missing a beat, you're able to handle that stress a lot better. If you look at newer people who are more inexperienced about the time that they come off the rig to go pull the hose line and I grab them and I'm screaming in their face. My kids are trapped on the second floor. You got to go get them. Oh my God. You got to save my kids. Holy shit. Oh my God. They just, I mean, literally they start looking left and right and left and right. And what they're looking for is somebody else to tell them what to do because they've never been in that situation. And so as an instructor, this is a great opportunity for somebody to be like, okay, listen, what are you going to do? Because you have a freaking out family member. (laughs) What is the most logical thing to do? And, and unfortunately, some people who try to do stress inoculation training, they just apply stress. They don't actually do the teaching part. Right. Right. So when somebody is in that position where they're kind of freaking out a little bit and they don't know what to do, that's a great opportunity to grab them and say, okay, here's what I want you to do. Tell that person you are going to do everything you can to go find their family member, but they need to back up because you need to do your job. And they'll do that and then I'll back off, right? And then they continue about their business. Um, What we find is that people have adverse reactions to stress if we've never taught them what to do. So take that same new firefighter who gets off the rig and they're approached by a real victim's family member on a real fire and they start putting hands on you have people that will start screaming at at civilians you know get the get the f away from me get off me i'm gonna have you arrested That doesn't make anything better (laughs) no right that's not what they want to hear but all they know is that somebody's coming at them and they don't know how to react and so they're just going to do what they normally do. Maybe they're aggressive in their personal life. So they're going to be like, get the F away from me or I'll punch you in the mouth.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that's not real good for PR, right?
0: No, no it's not.
1: <laughs> so uh, so basically when we, when we talk about stress inoculation, you have to have the buildup, right? You have to get them stressed up in their own way. Um, and then you have to be able to grab them and teach them. And that's going to solidify in their Rolodex, whatever you just showed them. So if you do that multiple times over a year, and do different scenarios so that they have different rolodex cards they're going to find something that closely resembles the situation that they were already in and and you and i i'm glad that you hadn't brought it up but i'm going to go ahead and drop it anyway
0: um go ahead i'm up for it
1: i this is the whole getting down to my underwear thing right <laughs> like when i try I start- to stay
0: away from it because you get people <laughs> crap for bringing it up all the time and you know i wasn't going to be the one to do it
1: I get, I, okay, I give people crap for posting pictures on social media about it. I don't <laughs> mind if we talk about
0: it. Okay.
1: Um, but no, I mean, me getting down in my underwear and screaming in Spanish or, or some other language, that is exactly what we're doing. We are breaking them of their, oh, we've always done it this way. And I've done this training a thousand times. As soon as I take my clothes off down in my underwear and I come running out of the building and I'm screaming, you literally see people, their stress level goes up, their respiratory rate goes up um, you know, they're, they're like, I've never seen this before. I don't know what to do with this. What do I do? I can't touch this guy. Cause he's naked. What am I going to do? All these things are running through their head. Um, and so that's a great opportunity for us to stop and be like, okay, what would you do? How are you going to handle this? Um, and then as the scenarios go on, you'll see that when that happens, people just do instinctively what they're supposed to do and what you want them to do.
0: So since you brought it up, <laughs> um, one of the time the, the the first time I saw you do that, it wasn't with me in there doing it, but it was that first year at Les Luger. And it was the group in front of me. and they'd gone in, you were in there too, and they brought you out, you're in there you're underwear. they brought you outside the door, left you there, went back in, shut the door you turned around to all of us who are standing there. You're like, well, they did that wrong. And you walked right back in. It was the funniest thing ever. Yep. But then the next time you went back in, they brought you out and they handed you off to somebody else. and It was the same exact firefighter. That firefighter learned, okay, this isn't going to work with this guy. You actually have to give him to somebody. And I don't know if you told him what to do or had him think about it, or if he just thought about it on his own to hand you off to somebody else.
1: Yeah. So when they found me, I, I, I remember that like it was yesterday. So uh, when they found me, I was hacking and coughing and I kept saying my brother's in the back. My brother's in the back. You got to go get my brother. He's in the back bedroom. You got to go get my brother. And they're dragging me out and I'm hacking and coughing. And I kept trying to turn around. And when they walked out, they just kind of shoved me. Like you said. Yeah. Uh, And, and and you're right. It's exactly what I said. It was, well, they didn't do that. Right. And so when I went back in, I literally tackled on top of them and was trying to push them out of the way. And I'm like, you got to get my brother. You guys aren't getting him fast enough. He's going to die as I'm hacking and coughing and, whatever and so uh the one guy was like what in the hell is this and I remember him just kind of (laughs) like like what do I do with this and I looked at him I said you guys left me out there unattended of course I'm going to come back and try and get my brother and he was like oh and the light bulb clicked on right (laughs) um and so sometimes you can do that after the scenarios but especially in those situations I want to do it right then and there because I want them to learn that lesson
0: it was so nice, especially just being someone on the outside. I wasn't going through that scenario at that point, but that has stuck with me so much just watching you from the outside. And it's like, well, they did that wrong. And then next time handed you off to somebody else, like that will be number one. I've never had that happen, but that will be number one. What I do just because it was so impactful, of, like looking at it and like, oh, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, we did a similar scenario down in Oklahoma city and, and what I told those cadets, and these are recruits for Oklahoma city fire department. Um, what I told them is, guys, think about this, whether it's a, a victim or a victim's family member or somebody who is, you know, has priceless heirlooms or, you know, a recording artist whose all of their instruments are inside, whatever it is, it doesn't matter if you're never going to be able to move fast enough to make them happy. They're always going to want you to move faster And there are people who will disregard their own safety and they will try to get back in the house because they don't think you're doing the, 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 the best thing. And so. Sorry, go ahead. No. So, I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, I, you know, there are people who are going to run back in the building to save a dog or a computer or their family member. I mean, obviously the family member would be at the the (laughs) top of that list, but uh, we routinely see it where people are really upset. They don't feel like you're doing it right. So they're going to do it.
0: Well, imagine if you weren't a firefighter. If my husband wasn't a firefighter and something happened to either me or your wife or something or your kid or whatever, like you would be in the exact same boat. And I think sometimes we forget that we sure. forget how we would act, that we would act like that if we didn't know, if we didn't have the training or the knowledge about what happens on a fire scene inside a structure like that. So,
1: yeah. And for the people listening, uh, I I'm real big in analogies. If you haven't figured it out in the last you know hour, But, uh, so one of the things I, I'm also a paramedic. And so one of the things I do with all of my new, uh, EMT partners who maybe have a little bit less experience, I make them go lay on the cot. We strap them in just like they would with a normal patient, whether they're supine or they're sitting up a little bit. Um, and we go drive around and we take corners hard. We hit curbs. We, you know, go down gravel roads. We do a bunch of stuff because we want them to have the perspective of the patient.
0: Good idea. Um,
1: because sitting up in the front you don't feel the the forces, the G forces like you do in the back. And so when you're laying flat on a cot and you take a turn a little bit too hard, that feeling of being on an already really narrow cot, right? When that cot starts moving and you're rolling because of the G force, you feel like you're going to fall off the damn thing. Mm -hmm. And so that's very unsettling for some patients. And so we want the EMT to have that um, experience. And what we found is a lot of times they'll, they'll be maybe not, how do I say this kindly? They're not the best at driving the ambulance with a patient in the back uh, yeah. until we do that. And once we do that, they have a whole new respect. And so that's what we're trying to do. The same thing with the fire service side is we want them to put themselves in the, in the victim's shoes or the victim's family's shoes. Um, the only way to do that is to replicate those types of situations.
0: So um, and I want to touch on one last thing, even though I already said this before, like, I don't know how many minutes ago, but um, one thing that I had had thought was a good idea and have now learned and grown and realized it's not a great idea, um, to, to go back to the stress inoculation, to use, uh, the sound of your past device going off as, as a stressor, I had thought, and Chris did too, for a while that that was a good idea. You should do that. And like, for, you know, if you're running the pump or go ahead and put that up there, it adds noise, adds stress, but hearing some more and having, having Chris go through his academy and things like that. Um, you know, that is one thing that they don't joke about. And I understand why they don't joke about it at all, but it is one of those things. If that goes off, it doesn't matter if it's a train, doesn't matter if somebody accidentally set it off or whatever, everyone drops what they're, what they're doing and they go find the firefighter or find, find what's making the noise no matter what. I just, I didn't know if you had any thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, so unfortunately, uh, that kind of thought process um, was was bound by blood, right? So we've had a lot of firefighters over the years, both in training and on actual, uh, on actual fire ground, where people were so used to hearing that pass device that the, the firefighter's pass device was activated for minutes. I mean, like a long time. We're talking like 10, 15, 20 minutes before anybody was like, hey, has anybody seen Joe?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And so, uh, unfortunately in, in years past, we did do a lot of that. We used the past device because it was readily available. Everyone has it on their pack. You can set off two or three of them. Um, but, but when you start disregarding that, uh, it, it becomes an issue. And so, yes, I agree in not using that. Um, what I found works way better is smoke detectors,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: So you can set off uh, smoke detectors. You can use, uh, you, well, you can go to like Walmart,
0: Oh, or Walmart. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs>
1: well, yeah, well, yeah, no, I mean, you can go to Walmart and buy a $40 speaker and play a YouTube video of smoke detector sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and like on the driver operator side, kind of like what you had mentioned, um, one of the things that I think is really great is taking like a smoke machine and placing it to where the smoke is going to obscure some things. Uh, and then okay. also, yeah. Okay. Well, because think about it. I mean, if you're on a fire ground, you're not always out of the smoke.
0: Yeah. You try to be, but not always. It doesn't always work. So yeah, Right.
1: And please don't be one of those people that's like, oh, well, they're in the smoke. They need to wear an air pack. I've seen it and I've said things about it. Um, you know, if you want to put on a, a, a half mass respirator or something, I guess, and whatever. But I mean, the, the, the level of smoke that you're going to get exposed to shouldn't be like being in a house. But <laughs> if you're going to use that, uh, you know, what about if you're in a foggy environment? What if it's foggy outside and you're trying to read your pump panel and everything's glazed over? Um, so there's a lot of different ways to stress people out other than air packs. I don't like using SCBAs and pass devices, um, as a stressor, because you're right, if it's going off, there's a reason why it's going off and we need to look into it.
0: Yeah. It's just something I learned very, very recently. And I'm like, Oh crap. I was one of those people who suggested doing that and who had done that before for people. And it, I didn't know any better.
1: Right. So, you're not alone. You're not alone. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that do, um, and again, it, it's, it's what's convenient. It's already there, right? We have a bunch of them. If one stops working, it's fine. We can just pick up another one. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, there are a lot of other things that we can use that would be a lot more beneficial in the long run.
0: Yeah. That way you just don't get used to the sound and hearing it all the time. And you know, then you, yeah, you glaze past it in your mind when you're on a scene or yeah, like you said, on a training and something happens. So no, they take it very seriously where if something happens, no matter what, everyone stops what they're doing and they, they go figure it out. And I don't know, some, something interesting. And I'd like to see uh, departments do that in their trainings. So if they aren't already, so, uh, going off of realistic training. So I'm going to start a new thing where if everyone is okay with it, I want to talk about family life because it is something I am going into with, uh, Chris joining a career department and I. Eventually we'll have kids someday, you know, and I want to gather as much knowledge and information as I can from the rest of the fire service. So sure,
1: sure. Yeah, let's do it.
0: (laughs) So back when you started your fire career academy and things, were you dating? Were you married already? How did that look?
1: Yeah. So uh, when I was in the fire academy, uh, I was actually single. Uh, I was not dating anybody. Uh, and it was when I got into, I think I was in EMT. Yeah, I was in EMT when I met Katie my wife and, uh, we had kind of started dating, but it wasn't super serious. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it was, it was not super serious on both sides. So, I mean, we were dating casually, we were hanging out, going on dates, stuff like that. But when I got into paramedic school, we were actually living together. Um, and so, the time commitment for me to be able to go and do paramedic school, which was a one-year program up at Creighton, uh, in Omaha, it, it was a lot. And there were a lot of times where she was like, Hey, I'm going out with my friends. And I'm like, okay, well, where are you going? Like, what are you going to be doing tonight? And I mean, I'm busy studying and she's going out partying with her friends. And the whole time, I mean, <laughs> if anybody's like, Oh yeah, well, that wouldn't bother me. Bullshit. It's going to bother you. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so there was some jealousy issues. There was some, you know, God, I wish I could go and hang out, but I have to study. And, Um, So it was rough. It was a really rough year. And then uh, after that, I moved down to Kansas City. And uh, she stayed in Lincoln for a little while. And then eventually moved down to Kansas City with me. Uh, And, uh, you know, from there, we got married and had kids and all that stuff.
0: So when you started having kids, I, I, you know, how did that transition look like with your, with your fire career? You know, um, I I don't exactly know what schedule you run or anything, depending on anything. But I mean, how did that work very well? Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. So so I was working full-time EMS and I was always doing volunteer part-time fire. I've always done volunteer part-time fire from the beginning, but then my originally in my career, it was just full-time EMS. Okay. And so that's how I paid the bills because I, I figured, hey, you know what? Paramedics make more, like sole paramedics make more than fire medics. Um, and my original intent was that I wanted to become a really good fire medic uh, and the only way that I saw to do that was to become a really good paramedic on the transport side um, because I did, I grew up uh, in Lincoln and uh, you know, I saw the difference between the people, not that they're better or worse, but I saw the people that had solely spent time on the pumper and had not done the transport. They were great for like the first five or 10 minutes, but anything that took longer than five or 10 minutes, they're like, Hey, um, where's that ambulance? Where's the ambulance? Is the ambulance here yet? Where's the ambulance? Okay, how far out is the ambulance? <laughs> so I, I saw it and 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 you know they were great medics, and I learned so much from a lot of those fire medics. Um, and I owe my entire career to those guys uh who now ironically are almost all retired. But um, you know, having that mindset of like, okay, I really want to be a good fire medic, so I really want to spend some time on the transport side. Um, it was important to me. And so having the ability to um, focus on that when we started having kids it got really really difficult because I was working 24- hour shifts. my wife is pregnant. Uh, on top of that I'm going for truck checks and monthly training for the fire department. I'm running volunteer calls and I'm doing all this outside stuff. And so there were times where she's like, you know hey I have an appointment with the doctor today you know my my you know I'm getting a sonogram and I'm like cool, let's do it what time And she's like 10 and I'm like, ooh all right, I got to move some stuff around. And she's like, you're damn right. You're going to move some stuff around. And then like, in my mind, I'm like, ah, Hey guys, I can't be at that meeting at 10 o'clock. Cause, uh, we got to have a sonogram for my kid. And it was hard for me, right? Like yeah. I, I wanted to be in two places at the same time and I couldn't be. And so, uh, her and I had a conversation very early on that when we started having kids, she wanted me to kind of step back a little bit. Um, so she didn't want me to take on as many overtime shifts. She didn't want me to go and do as much training on the volunteer side.
0: Early on communication. I like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it, it was, uh, it's hard for me to admit this now. Well, I take that back. It's easy for me to admit it. Now it was hard for me to admit it back then. Uh, I was super, super selfish, right? Like I tried everything I could to kind of sneak in things where I could time wise. Um, But she was also very understanding. Like if we were sitting there and, and, you know, we're talking and we're going to have friends over that night or whatever, um, you know, the tones would drop for a house fire and she'd be like, go, just go. And, and, and I'm like, wait a minute, is this a trap? Like, I feel like maybe this is a trap. Like you're telling me I should go, but you look like you don't want me to go. Uh, and she was always very understanding and she'd be like, no, I don't want you to go, but I know you need to go. Mm -hmm. Um, so compound that with a pregnant hormonal you know, moody wife. And there was a lot of trial and error. There there were a lot of times where I was like, Ooh, that didn't work out. Mm -hmm. Um, but as with the fire service, um, I had a great uh, core support group and I had guys that were like, Hey man, don't ever do that again. Or don't say this or, um, you know, try this. And so, uh, between all of our friends and wives of other firefighters who were in the situation before we were, uh, Katie had some people to talk to and bounce things off of. I had the same, um, and so we made it work. But it, it definitely was not easy.
0: That's nice having that network of people you can talk to about some some difficult things like that. Um, I know it seems like in other just normal jobs that other people have, they don't get down into knowing each other so intricately or talking about those types of things. But I can only imagine, um, especially where you tend to either have the twenty four hour shifts on the medic side, at least you at you had at that point, you know, I'm assuming 24, I guess I'd never asked, you know? Yeah.
1: Uh, So actually when, when I got, uh, when I got pregnant, when Katie got pregnant, when we got (laughs) pregnant uh, with Aiden, uh, I was working for a hospital based EMS service, which eventually turned into a County based service. Um, But it was actually, God, it was so messed up. It was a 40 hour week. So you ended up working like a 24 and then a 16.
0: Weird. Okay. Yeah, it was
1: super. It was super weird. But you, you actually, you got paid for forty hours, but you were only working a twenty-four hour shift and a sixteen, and then you were off. And so uh, that gave me a little bit more freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when it became a county service, it was uh, you know every other day for three days, and then you had four days off. And so it was weird. It was kind of weird adjusting to it. Um, but it it took us probably a solid four or five months to kind of learn how to deal with it. Uh, That's and, what
0: I've been hearing, that the 24-hour yeah. shifts really, really takes a lot of people anywhere between three and six months.
1: Yeah, three to six months of me working 24-hour shifts, and we had it pretty much down to a science. I mean, we we we've kind of worked like a well-oiled machine. She knew where I was going and where when I was coming um, and vice versa. And so uh, the other thing about the shift work that was great for us as opposed to maybe somebody that works a 40-hour work week is – we had a lot of time to schedule stuff when I was off. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of those appointments and a lot of the things uh, Katie ended up having a C-section. And so we actually scheduled it around when I was going to be off work so that it didn't, I didn't have to take as much time off. Oh,
0: you know, and I was right. off.
1: Yeah. I was off for two weeks after she had the baby, but uh, we scheduled it. So it was actually over my four days. So I saved a couple days of vacation and FMLA, um, you know, to be able to do that.
0: No, that is, That is awesome. I'm not looking forward to when he gets out and trying the whole 24 hour shifts and just learning to adjust to that just because I am used to, you know, responding from home and this is what you do and you go to calls when you have them and that's it. So I know he's going to like it better, (laughs) but we'll see, we'll see how I deal with it with uh, that. So, so now your kids are a little bit older. They're, yep, not, they're, they're not they ten and eight <laughs> so uh, do you have anything in place now with the kids with your wife whatever like do you have any sort of either structure to your days or or a certain thing you do either certain days of the week or certain months or i, I don't know what's what's it kind of look like
1: <laughs> so uh for those of you that are listening that don't know uh and and i talk about it a lot on my podcast as well but my wife's a first grade teacher uh she's been a elementary school teacher our entire uh, relationship. And so while well, she was in college to become one, and then she became one. So uh, we, it's weird, man. And I, a lot of people uh, probably won't get this, but I'm going to try and explain it the best I can. So uh, okay. Katie, Katie has the summers off. So during the summer, she usually goes back to Lincoln for about a month and spends, you know, 4th uh, of July time with her family and I I go up there over my four days when I can because it's only like a two and a half, three hour drive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, we already know, like if we look at the calendar and I know I'm going to be working on Christmas Eve or Christmas, I know they're gonna go to Nebraska to be with family and I'm gonna stay here and work. And that's just something that we've accepted. Um the one thing that we really do still struggle with, uh, she has a paper calendar on our fridge and she writes everything. I mean anything and everything you could ever imagine it's written on that fridge and I don't and so there's <laughs> there are so many times where I'm like hey babe uh remember I'm going to teach in Oklahoma next weekend and she's like are you kidding me? She's like did you look at the calendar you know Aiden has two baseball games and or two basketball games and and Leo has two football games or whatever it is um and so we're still struggling with that because there there's a really hard don't want to say it's hard to keep track because it's not. It's actually very simple. Um, We're just both all over the place. And so the one thing that I will say is that it's kind of this chaotic ballet. And so, uh, you know, I've never left my kids at school. I've never gotten a phone call from the school like, hey, are you going to come pick up your kids? That has never happened. Knock (laughs) on wood. Um, I've never forgotten to take them to a practice. Uh, So we do we try to spend as much quality time as we can. Uh, But especially right now, as they're getting older, it is split between sports. Um, you know, for Katie, it's conferences and after school stuff. For me, it's shifts and trainings and all that stuff. So uh, that's the best way I can describe it is it's like this chaotic ballet that somehow ends up being a beautiful masterpiece, but you have no idea how the hell it happened.
0: <laughs> it's got to be nice, though, because I'm starting to see that you're starting to take your oldest son with you to some things. And it's got to be really nice to be able to spend some different time with him, too, though.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, so Aiden is very into the fire service. He wants to be company. He told me very early on that he wanted to be a fireman. And I said, okay, that's great. Uh, the one thing that I've, I probably don't have to explain it to people, but I feel like I do. Um, I've never pushed the fire service on either one of my kids. Um, if they ended up wanting to be something completely different, I'm fine with that. Uh, Leo is not at all interested in being a firefighter. He has no interest in it. And and I'm cool with that, right? Like, I just want him to be successful. I want him to be happy. And I want him to be in a job where he can support himself and uh, his family. But Aiden, on the other hand, is like, through and through. I mean, the kid does searches uh, in a blacked out SCBA mask upstairs all the time. And That's so, awesome. yeah. Once he was old enough to start wanting to go to fire conferences with me, uh, I think he's been to three so far. He's been down to Oklahoma and then out to the Bears of the Oath, and then he was up in uh, Nebraska for one. And so, yeah, it's 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 been cool. Uh, he really enjoys it. He gets to learn, and and one of the big things that Katie was kind of scared of, I was pulling him out of school for some of this, and she goes, you know, I just don't know how I feel about you pulling him out of school to go to these fire conferences. And I said, babe, as much as you don't know about the fire service this is the one thing I will tell you, he is going to learn more in four days at a fire conference surrounded by a bunch of firefighters than he will ever learn (laughs) in school. It is Um, very true. Yeah. And he did nothing
0: else The networking, the people skills, the just a lot of that, not even getting to the technical side of any of the fire stuff, just the people aspect is things you can't replicate in school
1: absolutely and and so the first day and i'm going to use Bears of the oath because it just happened the other day um the first day of Bears of the oath he was very reserved he was very quiet you know guys would come up and, you know hey buddy what's your name and you just kind of stare at him um by the second day he was interacting with them and talking with them and asking questions um and by the third day uh justin phrase if he's listening from the colony uh you know justin had had a conversation with Aiden and I can't remember what he asked him, but Aiden turned around and he was like, yeah, you should probably know that because you're walking around like you own the place. And I was like, Oh my God. Oh Oh, (laughs) God. You know? And, and, and Justin laughed and and we had a good laugh about it, but I mean, Aiden really, they were flipping him crap and he was flipping it right back at him. And, you know, so him being able to interact with um, guys that I look up to and and guys that I've learned so much from um, it's awesome. You know, and, and and so really, I mean, we're sitting at dinner, and he's hanging out with Corley Moore and Justin Fraze and uh, so many people that I can't. You know, I'll I'll probably forget somebody, but um, just the brother and sisterhood of the fire service is is amazing for him.
0: I don't find offense if you say brotherhood. By the way, I don't know. Uh, I mean, gonna... I I use it synonymously.
1: I mean, okay. I sometimes I say brotherhood. Sometimes you know, it's it's all the same.
0: We should start calling it sisterhood.
1: <laughs> I, I whatever.
0: Uh, no that. That is awesome. and It it just made me really excited to see you taking one of your kids with you just because it's just like, that is what I hope someday I can do with a future child of mine. And I know this kid, it's not going to be on purpose, but I know they're going to be basically be pushing it on them. But it's because I'm so into it at the moment. Chris is going to be so into it. We almost won't have a choice sometimes, but it's so exciting because I see some of these other people who bring their kids to these conferences and they're able to have these interactions with these firefighters from all across the country and get to meet so many people. And it's, I don't know, it's just, that is something I very much look forward to and spending more time with my family, but with something I love doing being yeah. there with them.
1: No, absolutely. And, and we're all in it together. And, and the funny thing is everybody has different, um, everybody has different experiences. Everybody has different thought processes on things. Um, When we were down at the uh, conference that Corley Moore put on um, the honor, the honor, the fallen conference down in Moore, Mm -hmm. Oklahoma, Aiden went down there with me for that one. And during the conference, it was the lecture stuff. And he, I mean, let's be honest, he's 10. He'd rather be playing Fortnite or something than (laughs) sitting in a lecture hall listening to lectures i mean he he was into the whole like hands-on stuff but um one of the one of the battalion chiefs came up to me from more and he was like hey man i don't know if you're interested but my kids are about your son's age and they're at home today my wife's there she said that she'd be more than happy to watch aiden if he wants to come over and hang out and play video games for a couple hours while we're doing the lecture stuff and i was like yeah, that'd be cool. And so Mm -hmm. I asked him and he was super excited about it. And so he actually ended up getting a ride in the battalion chief's car back to his house, which was only like five minutes away. (laughs) Um, and he got to hang out. And so, um, you know, that, that battalion chief's wife taking the time to hear that I had my son at the conference and knowing that he's 10 and he probably doesn't want to sit there for the next five hours and listen to lectures. Um, she opened her doors to us and uh, I'm eternally grateful for that. I mean, it was just so, so awesome. Um, but that's the fire service. You know, the same thing could happen anywhere.
0: Yeah. Oh, that is so cool. <laughs> <sighs> well, we could pretty much keep talking for forever. <laughs> I think we've pretty much been talking for forever. I think it's about an hour and a half now, oh. a little over or something like that. <laughs> an hour and a half that we've been recording, probably more like like two and a half hours. <laughs> two and a half that we've actually been talking. And I know you have other things that you need to do today. But so I I know you have a class coming up in Nebraska.
1: Uh, shameless plug. No, no problem with that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we're actually doing the short staffed fireground uh, class up in Osceola. So for those of you who are listening who aren't from Nebraska, uh, this is in central Nebraska. It's just kind of in between Lincoln and Grand Island ish. Uh, And so uh, the closest town that has hotels is York, which is about 30 minutes away. Um, But there is a diamond in the rough. Uh, Osceola has a training tower that is amazing. It's all class A. Um, It has uh, three stories with a full roof prop. It has an elevator shaft. It's got like everything you could ever think of. And it was all built uh, by the department, by the fire chief and his sons and some other people that helped. So. Um, it is an amazing training facility. We love going up there. Um, it's actually Logan Watts's department and they have been gracious enough to kind of give us full access if we want to come up there in two classes. So, uh, November 13th, we're going to be doing the short staffed fire ground. It's going to cover, uh, truck work, engine work, and incident command. And we're going to run three and, uh, four person scenarios, uh, where, you're going to have three or four people for the first 15 minutes, and it's all going to be live fire. There's going to be victims. There's going to be all sorts of uh, things thrown in the mix. But uh, it's it's more realistic and more indicative of kind of the fire service in a lot of people's areas. It's not just unique to Nebraska or Kansas or Iowa. Um, but uh, anybody is more than welcome. If you go to our uh, Facebook page, uh, Valor Fire Training, you can go to the Eventbrite link and, uh, sign up foods included. So every, when you're there, you're going to get fed, um, breakfast, lunch, and, and, probably some sort of dinner. I'm not really sure how that's going to work, but it's going to be a full like 10 to 12 hour day. So, uh, it'll be awesome. It's going to be a lot of fun.
0: All right. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to make you plug another one because I was interested to hear about this, the, the Oz
1: Yeah, so Burning Oz Fire Conference uh, is going to be great. So we are doing that. It's January uh, 4th, 5th, and 6th, I believe, in Lawrence, Kansas. So uh, we're bringing in – so it's Todd Edwards with uh, Fire Life Training, and his cadre are going to be doing the engine company stuff. Valor Fire Training is going to be running the truck company ops. Um, So we have a couple of firefighters from the Metro departments that work on truck companies and have, uh, you know, anywhere between 10 and 20 years of experience on trucks. Uh, And then uh, Jake Hoffman from squad five is going to be coming in to do extrication and rescue training, and it's going to be a great, so the first day is going to be lecture uh, and we actually have the lead center rented out. So uh, the lecturers are going to be myself, Todd Edwards. Jake Hoffman, and we have Clyde Gordon coming in uh, from Houston. He's going to be one of our uh, lecturers. And then day two and three are going to be hot. So, uh, again, Lawrence, Kansas, if you haven't been there, it's pretty legit. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's the mass street effect. So you have a whole street of nothing but bars. So firefighters will be right at home. <laughs> and uh, it's all, everything is going to be held pretty local. Uh, we're utilizing one of the fire districts that surrounds Lawrence. Uh, we're going to use their training center. And uh, they've been gracious enough to host us. So it'll be really fun. It's in January. I know it's going to be cold, but uh, fires don't stop burning just because it's cold out.
0: Well, it's going to be nice to have something else added to the list of conferences in the Midwest. Yeah. and Hopefully it's an every year thing. Fingers crossed.
1: So you want the answer. So I'm going to throw it out there. Our hope is, is that this is going to be a reoccurring thing. Um, We didn't do it on purpose. This actually was scheduled for 2021. And we couldn't get things done in time because of the resurgence of COVID. Uh, And so we settled on the 4th, 5th, and 6th. And uh, what we didn't realize at the time is that we're actually going to be the first fire conference in 2022 anywhere in the country. That's awesome. And so our goal is from now on, that's going to be our claim to fame, uh, unless somebody wants to pick up the first through the 4th. Um, we're going to be the first fire conference every year. So we're hoping to set the tone for the country for fire training conferences and, uh, kind of keep rolling with it.
0: That is so cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was totally oh. done on accident, but it seems really cool.
0: <laughs> no, I can't go for this year for it. Um, but I'm hoping next year, 2023, since it is every year occurring. So that'll be awesome.
1: And, and one thing that I want to plug also, because you yeah. brought up the family aspect of it. So for oh, yeah. The birth- For the Burning Oz conference, one of the things that's really unique that you don't see a lot of other places uh, is that the uh, Fire Wife Life, which is Todd's wife and a bunch of other uh, firefighter spouses, they put on a program. It is not just for wives. So I've made this comment several times. Uh, It could be boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives, partners, doesn't matter, right? Um, But they are going to do a separate kind of mini conference in tandem with ours. And it is all about, you know, some of the the struggles that you deal with as a spouse of a firefighter. Uh, And then one of the nights, I believe it's the second night, they're going to do the fire family. So kids are invited. They're going to be able to come up and have dinner. And we're going to discuss kind of all the aspects of being a child of a firefighter. And some of the struggles that the kids have, and how to deal with it, and it's it's going to be really interactive. I think it's going to be awesome. Uh, and to my knowledge, I don't know if really any other conferences that are doing something like that.
0: I haven't heard of that. If I have heard of anything, it's just they kind of get the the spouses together, and but it's it's not for that long of a time. And they yeah, they don't get that in depth, especially with the kids. And that is so cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, when they brought okay, it up, and I knew period. that they had been doing it for a while um, at some of the other conferences that they do, uh, that they host, um, it was a no-brainer. Because here in the Midwest, we just don't have that aspect. We don't involve yeah. the families like they do in a lot of other places around the country.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I can't wait. That'll be that'll be really exciting to to be able to be a part of for you. And, I. yeah, I, I can't wait to see it sometime. So that's awesome. Last one I'm going to plug is Leslie Crude again. Even though we said the name probably like ten or so times, actually more than ten times, probably about a hundred times by now, but we have the 2022 less lucrative conference coming up in Kearney, Nebraska, uh, February fourth through the sixth, and Dave, you're going to be teaching a couple classes up there. I am. Should be good.
1: Excited to be back.
0: (laughs) It's going to be really fun. Um, so join us up there in Kearney. Um, Let's see. It's, yeah. Three day conference. Uh, we'll have a hot class offering and some classroom sessions. We are releasing the class list. I don't know if we'll be out by the time this comes out or not, but take a look on their Facebook pages and stuff for that. But anyways, Dave, it was really great having you on. If people want to find you, how did they find you? <laughs>
1: Yeah, so uh, they can hit us up on Facebook, uh, Valor Fire Training. We have uh, Instagram and LinkedIn and all the you know normal stuff. But uh, one of the more recent ones, and I can thank my ten-year-old son for this. Uh, we actually just started a TikTok account. Whoa. yeah, right. Like I'm in, I'm big time in it now. Um, so we have the TikTok, but it's all going to be tied in together. So a lot of the media that we put out on TikTok is going to be on our YouTube channel. Um, it's also going to be on Facebook. So, um, pretty much any major social media platform, our podcasts are available on all major platforms. So Apple, Google, all the same stuff that you have them on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, if you type in valor fire training, uh, that should be able to, uh, find us. And then you can always send a message to David at ValorFireTraining training.com. Uh, if you want more information or want to chat about training.
0: Perfect. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been a, a blast and I would keep talking to you all day if we could. <laughs>
1: We'll just have to have part two,
0: a part two, get into everything else. I don't know. Get into solving the, 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 all the issues of the fire service.
1: Absolutely. No, it was a blast. I I appreciate you having me on. It was long overdue.
0: Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming by and listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to leave a rating and review wherever you're listening follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Couplings Fire Podcast. See you next time, everybody.